Speaking of journeys and travelings, uh, David Livingston, the famous missionary uh, to the continent of Africa, before setting out for Africa in 1840, read a particular passage of scripture to his father and his sister. A, fa- a passage that he found very helpful and appropriate uh, as he set sail, as he left uh, for Africa. A passage that he found very reassuring and encouraging as he went on a long-term mission trip. And the passage he read was Psalm 121. It's a passage that we will be reading this morning. But this psalm is not only for those who are uh, traveling on a mission trip. Uh, It's a psalm for every follower of Jesus uh, who is on a spiritual journey uh, to the celestial city, uh, as uh, Bunyan would have it described for us. Uh, He described in the Pilgrim's Progress, the journey of the Christian life. Every follower of Jesus who has placed uh, his or her faith in Jesus Christ and is pursuing Christ on this earth, looking forward to the place, to the city that God has prepared for us for all eternity. We are on a journey. And on this journey, this psalm, Psalm 121, is an incredible reminder, an incredible uh, word of comfort as well as challenge for us to consider uh, what and how we should pursue this journey together. There is a wonderful comfort in the psalm to know that the Lord on this journey That the Lord is our keeper. But there's also a challenge in this psalm as well. To call us to examine our hearts to see if we are looking to him for our stability and security in the process of this journey. So whether or not you are in front of a physical journey like the Palanchuks or Bogdan. Um, Or some of us will be traveling this summer in various ways. Whether you are on a physical journey. We're all on a spiritual journey, and this psalm will be very fitted for all of us to hear. So would you open God's word to Psalm 121, as we are looking at the theme of the Lord, our keeper. And thinking also this Sunday being Mother's Day, uh, it's a wonderful psalm also for our mothers to meditate. uh, What it means to hold on to the Lord as your keeper, as mothers. Here is God's word for us this morning. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. 
Amen. What a wonderful word for us this morning to hear and to meditate on. Would you join me in prayer, asking God to bless the preaching of his word in our hearts as we hear. Let's pray. Gracious God, in your mercy and grace, you have revealed yourself to us in this wonderful role as our keeper. We thank you for the psalm. We thank you for what it teaches us about you. And Father, although this psalm is not new for many of our hearts, Father, I ask that by your Spirit, you would cause these truths that we know to deepen in our hearts so that we may appropriate them to our hearts in fresh and deeper ways. Oh God, would you be our keeper this morning? Even in the process and act of declaring your word, oh Lord, I need your help to proclaim it. And we all need your help to hear it. So in the name of Jesus and by the presence of your spirit, rule in every heart this morning to remind us that there is no authority higher than yours. There is no security higher than yours for our hearts uh, to turn to and depend on. In the name of Jesus we pray for his glory and honor. Amen. Church, are you aware that in our children's ministry, uh, we have a regular rhythm of teaching our children to memorize God's Word. Those of you who are parents know it because your children are asking you and calling you to help them memorize one verse at a time. Well, of all the memory verses that our children are memorizing, there is actually a chapter that they are called to memorize as part of their memory system. And that chapter is Psalm 121. Every week, uh, for in a season of their memorization, they are memorizing one verse at a time of the psalm. And at the end of it all, they will have memorized the entire psalm, 121. I'm so encouraged by our children, by those who teach our children, and by the parents who invest in equipping our children with... Uh, God's word, to teach the, God, the word to the children and to help them treasure it in their hearts and know it. But Psalm 121 is a psalm to be memorized not only by the children, it should be memorized by the adults as well. I pray that uh, this psalm would be, a, if you would have not memorized it, that you would consider memorizing it. Or if you have memorized it a long time ago, that you would refresh yourself with this psalm. Because it's a psalm that challenges us to consider where we find our stability in and where we find our security in. Which, by the way, it's a theme and a need that every adult should seek to consider carefully. Whether we uh, know this consciously or unconsciously, every living being, and the more you grow older, as an adult, the more you are challenged to consider where you find your security and stability in. Somehow, children don't care as much about it. But as we grow in adulthood, as we grow in our lives, we come to realize that this life that we have here on earth 
is more unstable and unsecure the more we grow in it. So all of us, consciously or unconsciously, as we age, we realize that we must find something to be our stability and our security. And the question is, what is that? What are we looking for? What are we putting our confidence in? This psalm has a, an unusual structure to it. It starts with a question. And it's not a rhetorical question. It's a question that the psalmist will give the answer to right away. The question is set in verse 1. The answer is given right away in verse 2. And as he is asking the question and answering right away, the author is inviting us into his personal self-reflection. And he does not miss a beat to tell us what is his source of protection, stability, and security as he seems to be going on a journey. As he begins a journey, uh, possibly to the city of Jerusalem, he is reflecting what will help him on this journey. So he's asking the question in verse 1. Look at verse 1. Here's a question. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? And the answer he gives right away, he does not let us wander around where the source of help might be coming from. The answer is right away in verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So the question is posed, the answer is given, and the song could be over. But it's not. He keeps going. And in verse 3 to, nine, to 8, he gives reasons why he is looking to the Lord for his help, for his stability, for his safety on the journey. And in verses 3 to 8, I wonder if you noticed a change of pronouns from, from verses 1 and 2. In verses 1 and 2, he's asking, I'm looking to the hills, where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And then verse 3 to 8, he's changing the pronouns to you. Now, is the psalmist choosing to speak here to those around him who were traveling on the journey to Jerusalem, which was very common in, in Old Testament times? By the way, even Mary and Joseph, when, they, when Jesus was at the age of 12, they were yearly going on to the, to the feasts in Jerusalem. Remember the story? And they were traveling with their families and with their friends. It was a big going. So it's possible, some may say, that the psalmist here, as he's going on this journey to Jerusalem to feast the Lord there and to worship him there, that he is speaking to his fellow travelers as he is asking himself, where will my help come from as I am setting on this journey? He's answering the question and then he's giving reasons and speaking now to those around him. That's one way to interpret the change of from me to you in the psalm. But there's another possibility that the change from me to you is not so much as author speaking to those around him as much as he's actually speaking to his own soul and addressing his own soul as you. 
It's not the first time in the book of Psalms that the author, at some point, he would just speak to, to, to you, but actually the you is himself. He's speaking to his own soul. For example, Psalm 43, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Do you see how the author of the Psalms, at some sometimes he actually uses you, but really to speak to his own self, to his own soul. I think that's what's happening here in Psalm 121 as well. The psalmist, after giving the answer to the question he posed, he is now beginning to talk to himself. Now, why would he talk to himself after he's given such a wonderful answer to the question he has just posed? Perhaps he is talking to himself to refresh himself of the reasons why the answer he gave in verse 2 is the spot-on right answer. As one Bible teacher put it, perhaps verse 2 is a psalmist's head knowledge or right, right answer, the automatic response, I know this is the right answer. When I look to the hills and I'm asking, where is my help coming from? Oh, the right answer is the Lord. But then, in verses 3 to 8, he is rehearsing and applying the truth about God to his own soul so that his soul may be refreshed into thinking and be encouraged why he should indeed look to the Lord as his keeper and helper. If this setting is correct, if this is what's going on in the psalm, that, that the psalmist is actually speaking to his own soul in verses 3 to 8 when he speaks to the you, then this is a wonderful encouragement and example of taking God's truth about himself, a truth that we already know with our heads, with our minds, and applying it afresh to our hearts. This is the work of meditating on the word of the Lord knowing the truth about God and applying it afresh to a new circumstance, to a new challenge, to a new season of our lives, to the journey of our spiritual walks with the Lord. Oh, if you are a believer, I pray that this psalm would indeed be an encouragement to you of how to talk to yourself about the Lord being your keeper, your helper, to find your security in the Lord. It also challenges us to consider and examine ourselves to see if in the times of, of unknown, of insecurities, of fears, what does it look like for us to indeed find the Lord as our helper, as our stability, as our safety? So the main message of the psalm this morning is Find your stability and security in the Lord's protection. Find your security and stability in the Lord's protection. And I know that for most of us this morning who are members of this congregation, I know that you know these truths. These are not going to be new insights. But it's so helpful for us to reappropriate 
these truths to our hearts and to encourage our souls to find the Lord in some fresh ways as our helper and keeper. Four reasons in this psalm to help us place our confidence for stability and security in the Lord's protection. And as we look at these four reasons, I'm just reminded, looking at our congregation, looking at various situations and challenges that I know some of our families are going through, this psalm is very appropriate for many among us. And I pray it would be for your soul this morning as well. Four reasons why we can and should look to the Lord to be our keeper and our helper. First of all, God's protection keeps us secure. God's protection keeps us secure. Look at verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. Other translations say, He will not allow your foot to slip. What a wonderful promise for the person going on a journey. And we want to read the psalm first and foremost in its uh, original setting. Uh, potentially the, the setting of Jewish pilgrims going on a journey, traveling, traveling on a hilly terrain, perhaps even mountainous terrain. This promise is a wonderful promise. It's a picture of stability and, and firmness. Uh, was, when, when this person is looking at the hills or the mountains, depending on the translation you have, he is not looking at them as a view to watch and enjoy. He is looking at the hills and the mountains as a terrain to cross. And, and working and crossing such a terrain comes with potential dangers, with slippery stones, with areas where your foot may indeed slip and you may fall. So here, as a psalmist is looking to the hills, getting ready for the journey, the first area that he is reminded of, that the Lord is a source for his security, is that the Lord is able to cause our foot, to cause your foot, to cause his foot not to slip along the way. And the psalmist, as he describes the Lord's ability to actually watch even on your foot, not to slip as you misplace your foot on an unstable rock or ground. The, the, the author of the psalm tells us the characteristic of the Lord as he's watching over your feet, not to slip. He describes the Lord as the maker, the one who made the heavens and the earth. In other words, this helper who is watching on your feet as you travel in the journey, he is no ordinary man. He's not just a traveling companion with you as the other Jewish pilgrims would be. The one who's watching over your feet is a maker of heaven and earth. Oh, friends, what a source for security. God's protection as the maker of heaven and earth employed, put together, focus on watching where you step so your step would not be moved. We need security not merely from physical danger, 
We also need security from spiritual danger, from spiritual harm as well. The dangerous terrain that we as Christians are traveling on is not only the, a, a terrain with external factors that can threaten us, that can harm us, but also internal dangers and struggles. And at, as life is on this earth, it's actually often the external harm, the external trials and suffering that can actually become a source of danger for our spiritual souls. It's important to recognize in times of suffering and trials that the danger is not only for our external physical body, but it's there for our souls as well. We need the Lord's help. We need the Lord's security, protection, stability when we travel through times of difficulty, times of unknown. We also need his stability and help in the battle and the journey with sinful inclinations of our own hearts. Including, for example, the danger of envying the wicked. The Lord is ready to help in those times when in our own hearts we may actually envy others and particularly envy the wicked for how they're prospering even though they seem to have no God in their lives. Did you know that actually this picture of, of slipping uh, is used elsewhere in the Psalms? Uh, psalm 73 is a wonderful psalm that uses a picture of, of slipping. And it starts off actually in uh, Psalm 78 with uh, the psalmist saying and confessing, my feet almost slipped when I looked at the prosperity of the wicked. It's amazing how the psalmist is now thinking about a danger that he was facing, that his feet almost slipped. And he's not talking about physical danger. He's talking about the danger of envying the prosperous who are wicked. And as Psalm 73 goes on, he describes his journey of how he was baffled at this inconsistency that the wicked seem to, to have it so good for their lives and those who fear the Lord seem to actually have it the opposite. It doesn't make sense. If God is our helper, the maker of the, of the heavens and the earth, why is it that God's people are going through trials and suffering and and difficulties, and those who don't know God seem to have, it, have such a smooth ride on this earth. And Psalm 73 is challenging and is telling us a source of, of the psalmist's turmoil and his feet almost slipping. Until he says, all of this happened until I looked at the end of how the wicked will turn out in the very end. And in halfway through Psalm 73, in this journey, he comes to recognize that actually it's the wicked that are walking on slippery stones. And listen to, to one of the verses in Psalm 73. Again, this imagery of, of slippery stones and the feet slipping off. The psalmist says, truly, now speaking about the wicked. He started speaking about himself, but now he speaks about the wicked. 
Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. He's talking about the end destiny of the wicked who are away apart from the Lord. And it's amazing how the psalmist in Psalm 73 is using this picture of slipping. That God is actually causing them and, and sovereignly orchestrating that at the end of their destiny, they will fall. Their feet will slip. This is one of the Bible references that Jonathan Edwards used, Psalm 73, 18, that Jonathan Edwards used when he preached a famous sermon entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That God used that sermon to bring revival in New England. It was a sermon that, that Jonathan Edwards preached to awaken the conscience of the wicked, to let them know that even though in this life they may be prospering, what's in store for them at the end of their journey is destruction. But to those who turn to the Lord in this life, for those who place their confidence in the Lord, who put their faith and trust in Jesus and follow him throughout their lives, for them, the Lord is not the one who prepares them for slippery places. For them, the Lord is one who actually protects their feet from slippering. What a different role God has in the Bible when it comes to this picture of people on a pilgrimage, on a journey, and, and walking around terrain where our feet can slip. The Lord's protection to watch over our feet, to ensure that our feet will not slip as we journey through this life. Oh, friends, the Lord's protection keeps us secure. What a comforting word for those who belong to him. But what a challenge is for those who continue to make the Lord or to ignore the Lord, not to pay attention to the Lord, to recognize that if we will continue our lives in, in finding security and safety and stability in someone other than the Lord, that we cannot claim this promise, that we cannot claim the comfort that this psalm provides for us. Oh, friends, for those of us who are believers, may we find our protection and stability and security in the Lord because He is watching over our feet. And when we are in danger of slipping because of the trials and temptations that are around us, the Lord is able to maintain, to keep our souls close to Him. A second reason that we see in the psalm why we should look to the Lord for stability, for security, is because God's protection is constant. God's protection is not only uh, secure, God's protection is also constant. Look to verse 3 and 4. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither, neither slumber nor sleep. This is a way of saying God's protection is constantly attentive. His protection does not work in shifts. The day shift is on. The night shift, you're on your own. Friends, the God who protects us, who watches over us, needs no sleep. Did you notice how in these verses, three times the picture of God not, needing, not slumbering or not needing sleep is brought up three times in two verses? Why bring it up 
three times. Well, perhaps the psalmist is making an implicit assumption about the pagan views of their idols. Oftentimes, ancient cultures viewed idols as not being always attentive, needing sacrifices all the time to awaken their attentiveness, to get them to look again to the worshipers, to their followers. We know that this was an ancient expectation of people who were worshiping idols because a few hundred years later, uh, or at some point in the history of Israel, when Elijah challenged the, four, the, the, the people of Israel who were going after the Baals, uh, he challenged them to, uh, to sacrifice more, to, do, to speak more loudly, to cry out louder, because perhaps their gods have fallen asleep and need to be awakened from their slumber. I mean, the whole pagan religion was, was counting on your effort to act hard enough, loud enough, sufficient enough to get the attention of your idol so that he would work for you. And sometimes, even Christians can approach their worship of God in that way. Thinking, I just gotta, I just gotta work harder to get, get God's attention to look at me. Or when things have gone so hard and difficult, is it perhaps that God has forgotten about me? Has he looked elsewhere? Has he fallen asleep? None of us may think in those crass words, has he fallen asleep, but each of us, while we know our theology of God, deep down our souls may wonder, has God, has God forgotten about me? So three times in these two verses, there's this negative reminder, the Lord does not slumber. He has not gone to sleep. His attention span needs to take no breaks to recharge himself. He never gets carried away with other stuff so that somehow he just moves on to look at someone else and not consider you. Oh, it feels, it feels so tempting when we look at some of our trials and temptations to wonder, has God moved on from me? Oh, believer, take these words to, to your heart. He, he who keeps you, he who keeps you will never slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So run to him at any time and at all times. You will never find God on a break, ever. He will never be on vacation, ever. He will never be taking a nap. When you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't fall asleep, know that God has never taken a sleep. Oh, friends, think of the psalmist who was traveling on a journey to Jerusalem, you might say, well, I, I know how to protect myself in the daytime. We're all awake, traveling together. But who's going to protect him in the nighttime? 
sleeping under the stars, not being able to protect himself from animals who may come. This particular reminder, he never sleeps, he doesn't slumber, is such a refresher for the psalmist who recognizes, what about those times when I cannot protect myself, when I cannot watch over myself? Oh, my friends, the Lord is there to watch over you. His protection of us who are his people is constant. What an encouragement. What a comfort for those times when it feels like even our attempt to protect ourselves has run out. Friends, there are seasons in our lives when we need to hear this particular image louder than any other image in the psalm. He does not slumber. He will never sleep. Thirdly, a third reason why we can find the Lord as our helper, as our protector, is that God's protection is the Lord himself. God's protection is the Lord himself. Look at at verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. What an astounding promise just to look at these few words. In other words, the protection of God is not like an insurance policy. The protection is not just an abstract truth, a safety net that will kick in in various ways, a thing out there. The protection is a person. The protection of God is actually a person. The Lord himself. He is your keeper. Friends, we cannot have the protection of God without God first being able to relate to us in a favorable way. Without God being our keeper. He's not delegating his work of protection to other beings. Yes, the Lord works through means. Yes, the Lord works through angels. Yes, the Lord works through people. Yes, the Lord works through circumstances. I get it. But He is our keeper, not in a removed kind of way. He is our keeper in that personal, involved way. Our protection is a person of God Himself. So when fears assault us, when anxieties surround us, let your mind meditate on this simple but profound truth. The one who protects you is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his being, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, together, the triune God is involved in protecting you. But what does it mean that the Lord is our keeper? The rest of verse 5 and verse 6 gives us an illustration. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. In other words, when the Lord is your keeper, He is near you. He is so near to you that he acts as your shade on your right hand. Oh, how I needed that shade last weekend when I was canoeing or kayaking. 
uh, at, the, uh, at the members retreat um, last weekend as we were camping out. And I, f- I put sunscreen on my face, but I forgot to put su- sunscreen on my arms and on my legs. And for an hour and a half, enjoying the beautiful scenery of Lake Travis and uh, kayaking with my kids and others. And we have flipped at one point. And uh, praise the Lord for good s- safety stuff that kept us afloat. But after about an hour and a half of being on Lake Travis, my skin began feeling the burn. And last weekend, you don't know, but I was in this pulpit. And you did not know that my skin was like itching all over my legs and my arms. Because I did not have suntan, sunscreen to protect me from the sun. And though it was an enjoyable experience in the moment, a few hours later, I paid for it. But imagine this picture, the Lord being like your sunscreen, if you will, or being some, some level of shade right close to you so that when the sun strikes during the day, it will not burn you. This picture of the Lord being your keeper is a picture of the nearness of the Lord. He's not a helper from afar. He's a helper nearby. So that the Lord, the shade on your right hand, the sun shall not strike you by day. But you may wonder, I get that. I get the umbrella that I always keep with me. Or I get the sunscreen that I apply to me to keep me from being struck by the sun rays. I get that. But what about the other part of the picture, nor the moon by night? This is a little odd. How does a moon strike you as a traveler by night? This picture, this part of the picture needs some illustration or some explanation. In the Middle East where this psalm was written, the heat of the day was way stronger than the heat of the summer in Austin, Texas. But it's not just the heat of the daytime that he needed help with. He also needed help with the striking of the moon during the night. How did the moon strike an ancient traveler at night? Commentators debate over this. It's possible. And the explanation I'm most convinced by is that the striking of the moon at night is not talking about real threats, but about perceived unreal threats. The moon doesn't strike you at night in a way to harm you. But this is not about real threats that are indeed harmful, like the the heat of the sun during the day. This is about those unreal threats, the fears that are illegitimate, and yet they also strike you. It's as if the psalmist is saying, the Lord's protection is near me, both to protect me and shield me in times of real fears and unreal fears. You know, fears, when they assault us, they don't make a distinction between what's factual and what's not factual. Have you noticed that? When fears attack you, there's 
all feels real. All feels factual. How amazing that in this psalm, in this picture, the psalmist looks at the protection of the Lord being near you, both in facing the real dangers or the perceived dangers. He's so near that the best picture is the Lord is your shade on your right hand. And it doesn't mean if the, the danger is factual or perceived. God's help and presence is with you all the time. Oh, friends, having a right view of God, having a right theology of God is super, super helpful. That's why we encourage you to be reading God's Word regularly. We encourage you also to read books uh, of theology that help you grow in having a high view of God. Because to have a high view of God, to understand who He is, is the first part of understanding and, and growing in the right worship of God. But let me just say this. Having a high view of God, while necessary is not sufficient. To have the right view of God and yet think of Him or experiencing Him at a distance would be tragic. To live with a right view of God and yet not to experience and to have a sense of His nearness in your life, it'd be tragic. What a loss. One, one, Bible put it, one Bible teacher put it beautifully. God's requirement is a humble and trusting heart, a turning of our eyes to Him, a reliance on His mercy, and a trust in the Savior He has given for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. And may I say, we need that trust so that the Lord, we would see Him as near to us. Cultivate in your daily walk with the Lord, not just a sense of His of his rightness, of his greatness, but also his nearness, that he is there with you. Friends, this is a beautiful part of God's personal involvement in protecting us. Finally, a final reason why we see why we should keep the Lord as our helper, as our uh, keeper, is because God's protection is not only a protection that is secure, it's not only a protection that is constant. It's not only a protection that is found in the Lord himself, in his nearness to us. God's protection, finally, is all-inclusive. All-inclusive. In the last stanza of the psalm, we see a cluster of promises that cause the heart of the psalmist to ask, is this even possible? Is this even true? Verses 7 through 8 and 8, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Do you hear in these promises, they're like a cluster of comprehensive promises. The first one, the Lord will keep you from all evil. Notice the psalm does not say that the Lord will keep trials away from you. 
This verse does not say the Lord will keep suffering from you. This Lord says, however, the Lord will keep you from all evil. This means that the Lord will keep us in difficult times. And actually God has shown us the extent to which he is willing to go to save us from all evil. The greatest extent he showed us is by sending his son Jesus, his only begotten son, to become incarnate, to live the perfect life that we uh, needed to live and couldn't, and yet to take upon himself the guilt and the punishment that we deserved to pay. And yet on the third day, God raised Jesus from the grave showing us that indeed in Christ God has broken the bondage that held us captive to the kingdom of evil, the kingdom of darkness, the, king, the kingdom of the, of, ruled by, by the evil one. Oh God, oh friends, God raised Jesus from the dead to release prisoners who have been captive to the kingdom of darkness. God indeed has shown us that he's able to keep us from all evil. And he did it, showed it to us in Jesus Christ. Friends, this is the gospel news that we as Christians proclaim all the time. That the greatest evil that God has saved us from, freed us from, is the evil of sin. The evil of rebellion against our maker. The evil of of having to be bound to pay forever and ever for our sins. We no longer have to do that if we are in Christ Jesus. He will keep you from all evil. Oh, friends, may we find the freedom. May we find the freedom from evil, even in this earthly life. And if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, if you have not placed your trust in Christ, I want to plead with you, consider today, that in Jesus Christ, God has freed us from the greatest, most insurmountable reality of evil. I love how one of the Bible commentators, Derek Kidner, says the following about this psalm, about this particular verse. To be kept from all evil does not imply a cushioned life, but a well-armed one. A well-armed life. So when... Various forms of trials, challenges, difficulties, tribulations come our way. We can be armed in our hearts with recognizing though pain, harm, danger comes our way, we have a God who will keep us from all evil, even in turbulent times. So that, the Kidna says, the psalmist ends with a pledge which could hardly be stronger or more sweeping. Your going out and your coming in is not only a way of saying everything, it draws attention to one's ventures and enterprises and the home which remains one's base, to pilgrimage and to return, to the dawn and the sunset of one's days. The last line of this comprehensive promise ends on a sweet tone not only starts with today. Did you hear that? God's protection starts with today, from now on, 
but ends with an endless ending. And the end of this promise is, is endless from now on and forevermore. It's a, it's a comprehensive promise that ends on this tone of, of an endless protection because God himself is endless. There's no expiration date on this protection policy. There's no end time to it. His protection of his people does not have an expiration date, not even the grave. It doesn't have a term limit now and forevermore. And the beautiful part between these two words is that you don't have to choose between the now or forevermore. It's now and forevermore. How needed is this message for some of our marriages? For those going through uncertain times, for those going through challenges in the workplace, for those going through uncertainties, what will happen after I graduate? What will happen with my life moving forward? Things are not working out the the same way I had hoped and dreamed for. This message also works for those times when we are in prosperity, when we are tempted to put confidence in what's working well for us. In times when things are working well, this psalm is a challenge to call our hearts back and make sure that we find our help, not in the good job that we have, not in the good dreams that seem to be working well for us, but that the Lord would be our helper, both in time of need and in time of prosperity. Oh, how we need to preach this psalm to our own soul. So let me ask you, this morning, as you look to the hills that are around you, and I'm not looking and I'm not talking here about the beautiful sightseeing that we wish we would see around Austin. There's not many hills around us. There's some. They're not very tall. That's not, there's not the hills that we need to be looking around. It's the hills that really provide more the, the path of challenge or the path that provides opportunities for fears and unknowns and uncertainties. Those are the hills. Those are the the terrain that we're looking ahead. As you are looking ahead, whether things are working out well for you or not, this psalm is inviting you to consider the reflection he has asked, the question, where will my help come from? That's the question of the psalm. The answer is given quickly. My help comes from the Lord, the maker in heaven and earth. But don't, don't give that answer so quickly that you don't meditate on the rest of the reasons. This psalm was written to, for us not simply to give us a quick head knowledge answer, but to really to challenge our hearts, to meditate on the reasons why that answer is the right answer. So I pray that as we consider who is our helper, who is your helper, consider your life. See what is it that shows your confidence, what reveals what you're putting your, your security in. And by the way, do you know one of, the, one of the easiest ways you can discern what you're putting your security in? Your prayer life. Your prayer life will show a ton 
of where and what you are putting your security in. When we fail to pray, when we, when we are negligent to pray, this is the amazing part. Prayer should not be merely a, a spiritual discipline. We should be disciplined in our prayers. But if it's only a duty to check off your, your, your marks, your, your to-do list, Offense, we're missing out and maybe reveal that actually we are failing to really uphold the Lord to be our keeper. We may know that with our head, we may know that officially, but our hearts need to be reminded why the Lord is truly our keeper and our protector. One of the most clear ways that shows what are we looking for, where are we looking for for help, comes in this realm of our prayer life. So let me ask you, do you pray? Do you enjoy praying? Do you pray for yourself? Do you pray for others? Do you pray by yourself? Do you pray with others? Friends, how is your prayer life? This is why before the sermon we sang the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And we've been reminded how we forfeit so much help and comfort when we fail to bring our burdens to the Lord in prayer. Is it possible that to consider that the, an application of this psalm, I turn, I look to the hills, where does my help come from? While each of us may say, of course, I know the answer, the Lord. Would your prayer life show that? This psalm not only comforts us, but challenges us. Only the eternal God can give us help for the present and for eternity. So ask yourself, in what ways are you trying to protect yourself? Are you trying to deal with the insecurities that you're facing? With a need for security that you find yourself in? Ask yourself, how is your prayer life? And if it's not where it should be, it's not where you feel comfortable with, ask the Lord to give you grace to look afresh to the hills and to tell your soul in fresh ways, oh soul, look to the, to the Lord. He is your keeper. And here are the reasons why I can go to the bank and trust and find my security in the Lord. May we all find our stability and security in the Lord's protection. Let's pray. Father, our hearts and souls need to hear this truth. Though many of us know this truth in our minds, our hearts need to deepen our confidence in you. And for some of us, we need to hear that message afresh because we have forgotten to look to you for our help and for our being our keeper. So we pray that by your spirit and through the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you enable our hearts to look afresh to you for our stability and security. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.